I think we're good. I don't know. Alright. Let's just do it. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Clever, clever. Do you remember that part? Yes. He's just when he's it. talking to himself. Yes, yep. that's it. Clever, clever. I just like that he gets in arguments with the cat. What is it about the dark? What secret does it hold? I didn't want to say anything. I was like, that was very impressive. Was it? Mm-hmm. It was good. Sweet. All right. Getting into the podcast. Fun. Fun. The podcast fun house. Oh, bro. I'm ready for this one. <laughs> right, so I watched it again today. Oh, sweet. And now I have a... Okay, I told you my perspective yesterday. I have a whole new perspective on it right now. Awesome. All right. Well, before we go any further, before we go any further, yes. Let's 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 start this thing. And on your mark, get set, go. Oh, sorry. Hello, I'm Joey Parr, editor in chief of GeekTyrant.com and host of this podcast. Secret level. And joining me, as always, is the fantastic, the fantabulous, the fanboy, Billy Fisher. Yes. What's going on, buddy? Not much, dude. Today, we are going to talk about Sam Raimi's classic 1998. Action film, Dark Man. I love this movie. <laughs> I love all the movies we talk about, but this one, man, I remember seeing it and just, I had, when I was a kid seeing this movie, I had never seen anything like it before. It is so unique and so different from anything that I was watching in those days. Absolutely. Um, I got to see it in the movie theater. Yes. And that was the last time I saw it up until recently. I've watched it twice in this last week. And it's been a roller coaster for me. It, you know, I've watched it a few times over the years since I've mm. seen it. And so it probably wasn't a shock to me as much as it was to you for some things. Right. But rewatching it again, it has been a few years since I've watched it. And rewatching it again recently, I just I just enjoy it as much as I have in times past. Like it is just a fun movie. It is filled with absolute insanity. The movie is completely bonkers. Yes. And I love it. Because of that, it just goes off the freaking chain. <laughs> well, okay, so this is when I was a kid, I loved it. Uh, when I watched it about a week ago, I was on the fence. I was like, you know what? There's something off. And then I watched it today. Yeah, because you called me after you watched it the first time. You were like, man, I don't know about this movie. I wish I, you were like, I wish I wouldn't have watched it again because. Your memory of it as a kid was different than when you yes. watched it recently. Yep. But then when I watched it today, 
it clicked. Like, so, like within the first couple of frames of the movie, I was like, this is a comic book. Dude, it is 100% a comic book. That is what I love about it. This is the first, like, hardcore, hard R comic book movie. Yes, and that, that's not even the thing. If they put panels in it, you would see what I mean. Like, if you were, like, scrolling, th if you're actually reading the comic book, the jumps are the same. Like, the action scenes are the same. Like, they just oh, get yeah. into it. There's no setup because, like, in comic books, you're just trying to make it to the next page. In this one, I was like, holy shit. This is a comic book. It is. And it is one and of, so, it's written like a comic book. It is it is shot like a comic book. Uh, and, and I love it for that. And it yes, really, okay. even yeah. though this is this is an original character, this is an original story that Raimi had an idea for. He originally wanted to do the shadow. That was his that was what he originally wanted to do. He wanted to do the shadow. When he couldn't get that off the ground, he created the character of Darkman and just did something different, unique, and original. And I love it. <laughs> right. So if you're a fan of Sam Raimi, you're going to see shots in this that you will see in army of darkness you'll see it in the first original three spider-men you'll see it in you'll even see it all the way up to doctor strange yes in the multiverse of madness he has these shots that you're like that's sam raimi right there but what got me in this one is that he had frame shots like comic book frame shots like it's almost like the the movie pauses for a second to make you understand this is what this frame looks like and what's going on in that that section yeah it's crazy like it didn't hit me it gave me goosebumps i was like oh crap that's freaking cool like and even the wording in it because you know when you read a comic book things are yeah. over exaggerated and people yeah, say weird exactly. things and it, he's got it like, it's I was over like, the top in the best oh of ways it is absolutely a, it is in my mind dark man is like a genius film like I know people are like, shut up, <laughs> but it's, but when you look at comic book movies, even though this isn't based on an existing comic, this is an original story. It is a comic book movie. It is hundred percent. Right. It, it has that same vibe and that same feel. And it's so much fun to watch. It is so right. much fun. And, and that's what gets me is we're, we're going to get through this, but I even like the ending that it sets up for like issue number two, like the very last shot is like the last shot of issue one yeah, and can be brought into issue two. Yeah. It's next. so great. It's so great. It was bonkers. This I is, loved it. Oh gosh. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. But I, before we go any further, yes. before we go any further, let's, let's, Let's talk about, just share something about yourself, Billy. Okay, this is going to be the weirdest thing I've said in a while. But you and I both got to see Lightyear. To me, that is probably one of my all-time favorite movies. Not just favorite Pixar movie, not just favorite Disney movie, but as a movie as a whole is one of my favorite movies. Like, I can't stop thinking about it since I've seen it. Really? I love, 
yes, I, the character setup was good. Anybody who has a complaint about it, I don't see where you're coming from. Like, cause I was totally engulfed in the experience. I didn't, I didn't want to leave that world. It was amazing. The story was great. The action was great. One of your the, favorite movies you've ever seen? Ever. Wow. Ever. Wow. Yeah, like it, it got me. Okay. Okay. Because, and, and everybody, like I've heard some of the critics saying that it's like, it's not their favorite. And I, I don't understand that. I think they were expecting a Toy Story movie. I mean, in, it's definitely a not a movie. Toy Story movie. Oh. Yeah, definitely. But not. I wouldn't say it's my favorite either. Oh, that's fine. Just as a I'm movie in it. general. But if you like are in it and you're like, yeah. you're just like, like it was, it kill was, me I was drawn into here. a world. What was that? Yeah. I was just drawn into that world. Like I was like, yes, I would like to see more. Thank you. Please and thank you. Like there's, yes, there's its faults, but every movie has its faults. But I was like excited for what was going to come next. I know we're probably not going to get a second one, or if we do, it's far off. Who, who knows? I mean, if it makes money, Pixar will do a sequel to anything because right. they want to make money. Absolutely. Somebody needs to do it. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that's, that's been my week. It's just been kind of stuck in my head. I've been thinking of Lightyear this whole time. Okay. Well, yeah. What about you? What's, what's new with you? Well, I wanted to bring something up that I forgot mm-hmm. to bring up in the last podcast. Okay. So... I was just kind of going through our old podcasts on the website because I post them on Geek Tyrant and someone called me and the reason I did that is because someone called me and pointed out that someone commented on one of our posts, one of our podcasts. Right. Joe Dante's Explorers. Mm-hmm. And... It turns out that Joe Dante reached out to us on our, in our comment section. Crazy. About what? our podcast. And and this is what he said. I'm going to read you I'm going to read you his post and this is confirmed Joe Dante. Uh I know that he is very active on social media and that he goes and comments on stuff and and does all this stuff and I've gone through and have confirmed that this is actually him. But he says, wow, you guys are so off base. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Wow. And so now I'm like, what were we so off base about? Because all the information I got was from interviews that he gave and from people that worked on the movie. So right. what was I off base about? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I either. don't know. I I re-listened to it and I'm like, I don't know where I went wrong. Hmm. Unless some of the quotes were manufactured that I found. I have no idea, but that was But you wouldn't think they'd be able to publish them if they were well, manufactured. Well, yeah, and I found them on like Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that. So I don't know what I got way off base. So I just thought that mm. was funny and cool and also right. a little nerve-wracking because Joe Dante is like one of my favorite childhood directors. Yeah. He directed still one of my some favorite. of my favorite films when I was growing up. And I'm and like, Gremlins alone. Oh man, what did I get wrong? I don't, I don't want to get anything wrong. 
right. That makes my palms sweat. I know. I was like, I was kind of freaking out because I was like, oh, man, what did we get wrong? And I don't right. know. I don't know. I kind of went through it, went through my notes, double-checked stuff, and I'm like, I I don't know. Unless he's just messing around with me. I have right. no idea. I mean, we did go into speculation mode on what we were missing in Explorers. But, I mean, you can't hold that against us. It's just speculation, so... Not hmm. really speculation on what we missed, because it was... It was stuff that had leaked out, leaked out, like, from the script and stuff. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it maybe whoever leaked it out, maybe it wasn't correct, but... I just wish... I just wish when he said, you guys are so off base, I wish he would have been like, let me tell you why. That's all I wanted. Correct me if I'm wrong. Give right. me the corrections. I want to know so I can fix them. Right. Well, I think he just kind of put it in our hands. Maybe we need to reach out to him on social media and find out what's missing. All right. Game on. Let's get Joe Dante on this podcast. We're, we're going to talk do it. about all of his movies. <laughs> Please. Oh, man. We haven't even scratched the surface, but yes. Let's I go. love Joe Dante, though. He's great. So he didn't say anything about the burbs? Just No, didn't say anything about our burbs episode. Just hmm. explores. Maybe you should that's the way you should reach him and be like, hey, we did this one too. What do you think? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll get to it. So busy. Everything is so busy. Life is so busy. But yes, I would love to talk to Joe Dante and pick his brain. Absolutely. But anyway. Yes. Anyway. Let's get back to Dark Man. Dark Man. Man. So I'll start off with the synopsis. Yes. You ready for this? Oh, I love it. All right. When thugs employed by a crime boss lead a vicious assault on Dr. Peyton Westlake, leaving him literally and psychologically scarred, an emergency procedure allows him to survive. Upon his recovery, Westlake can find solace only by returning to his scientific work and developing synthetic skin and seeking revenge against the crime boss. He assumes a Phantom Avenger persona called Darkman, who with malleable facial qualities is able to infiltrate and sow terror in the criminal community. I like it. So that's it. Yeah, that's good stuff. So dark man. Yes. It's just a straight from the mind of Sam Raimi. Straight from the mind of Sam Raimi. He wanted this character to pay homage to the classic universal horror films of the 1930s. And you can totally see that in this character and what he was trying to do. Absolutely. It's very, it's in your face. It's there. And he also drew inspiration from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Phantom of the Opera, and The Elephant Man. Absolutely. You can see all three of those in this one. Yep. Producer Rob Tappert, who is a longtime collaborator of Raimi, has been working with Raimi since the first Evil Dead movie. He explained, this movie was a labor of love for Sam Raimi. He tried very hard to make a movie about the shadow, but that proved impossible because at that time it was going to be made by Robert Zemeckis, 
So Sam said, I am going to create my own superhero and take aspects of other superheroes and incorporate them into the character of Darkman. And he described what he was looking to do with this film to be like an ideal comic book and described it as being dynamic and smashing as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, once you sit back and look at it, it's clear. Oh, yeah, watching for a sure. Comic book. And you yeah, know who so cool. helped? Raimi put this together. Who was that? Joel yeah. Cohen and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Nice. They are close friends with Raimi, and while they were starting out, they helped him polish up this script and put it together. Nice. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, what came out was pretty fantastic, I have to admit. Yeah, but it wasn't without its its uh, production problems, man. Oh, I'm sure. There's some great behind-the-scenes stories here. We're going to get into them. Liam Neeson was awesome in this role. But before we get into that, mm-hmm. before he was cast, Bill Paxton was almost cast in the lead role. Okay. So... As the story goes, Paxton and Neeson were friends, and Paxton told Neeson about the audition. And when Neeson got the role and Paxton Paxton lost it, Paxton was so angry he didn't speak to Neeson for months. (laughs) Fantastic. Hey, man, that was your own fault. You told him about it. And Gary Oldman was also considered for the role of of, uh, Dark Man. He would have been good. Now, mm-hmm. the other thing, Raimi's first choice, though, the, oh. the one person he wanted to star in the film was... The one person he wants to star in every film. Every film, Bruce Campbell. He wanted Bruce yes. Campbell in the lead role. But the producers didn't think Campbell could handle the part. Okay. And that's why we only see him make a very small cameo at the very end of the film. Yeah, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss that. Well, you know what, though? Mm. I don't understand what the studio is thinking when they're like... I mean, Bruce Campbell is a fun actor. Absolutely. And he's proven that over the years. And he's got this... Great fan base, this very loyal fan base. And it's yeah, not absolutely. hard to imagine him in the role of Darkman. Well, no. I love Neeson in the role, and Neeson is perfect, and I, I couldn't be happier that he's in it. I could totally also see Bruce Campbell in the role. Oh, definitely. And that's kind of cool. That's what I was thinking when I was talking about before when it said it's like the last piece in ep- issue one. And then in issue two, he's got Bruce Campbell's face. Yeah. Going into that one because he doesn't want people seeing Peyton Westlake anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It works. Like, I wish they would have come up with a second one with Bruce Campbell. Yeah, there were a couple sequels, straight to video sequels that aren't really worth talking about. But, uh, But yeah, that very last scene, that was, he's credited as, and I quote, final shemp. And mm-hmm. that is a reference to Shemp Howard, who was frequently doubled by lookalikes in 
the Three Stooges projects after his death. Gotcha. So, when talking about, oh, you know, Raimi wanting him to be in the film, Campbell mm-hmm. said, I was not enough of an acting commodity for Universal, but Liam Neeson at the time, he did a couple of well-known things in Europe, but I don't think people could have picked him out of a police lineup here. Sam threw me the bone and said, why don't you be in the final In Disguise Dark Man? So I am Dark Man technically. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. He took up the mantle. Yeah, he does. But uh, so I'm thinking the well-known things in Europe was Krull. Yeah? Yeah. Krull? That was his. But, I mean, really when you weigh the two options, you've got – Bruce Campbell, who starred in the Evil Dead films before. But yep. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I guess they were looking for someone with just a little bit more clout. I guess. I mean, barely a little bit. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean, it worked out. Like you and I were talking about it before. And I think Liam Neeson acted his ass off in that movie. Oh, it's like Yeah. It's like Raimi told everybody else, hey, this is a B movie, and then went to Neeson and was like, it's an bro. A, it's an A movie for you. You give the yep. best performance you've got. Give it everything. So, yeah, it seems like everybody's kind of holding back. You, and take, he's the, just you take this awesome comic book dialogue, and you play it 100% serious. 100%. <laughs> I was like, man, it's worth watching him alone in this movie. Everything else works with it, but just watching him, I was like, because that's, as the main character, like as Bruce Wayne, the internal thoughts are always deeper. They're always, the the conversations, the dialogue coming from the main character are always deeper. Yeah. As when you get to the bad guys, they have these cheesy lines. And I was like, total comic book right there. Yeah. You know? Totally. I, I loved it. That, that, that to me, that was just like, man, I don't know if he did that on purpose, but if he did, fantastic, fantastic idea. Yeah. Now, Campbell did have uh, an un, another uncredited part to play in the film in regards to sound. Okay. So he explains, we both love sound. It needed lots of looping, lots of sound effects. So I made the studio guy money and wound up voicing every criminal who fell to their death. Holy shit, <laughs> I screamed my brains out. And they're good. Vintage screams. We got to a point where we were mixing, and Sam goes, shit, I need Darkman to yell, Julie. And he looks at me and says, get in the booth. And so that's in there. And I did all the television looping for Liam. So when he's like, Julie, that's, that's Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I love that Bruce Campbell did the yelling and voices for everyone that died and fell to their death in that movie. That Absolutely. is so awesome. Man. And that made, yeah. you know, you read stuff like that, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that made me happy. Because that's something I never knew before. Like, right. I love that. I think that's such a cool, such a cool little tidbit of movie it, trivia. It is. And there we go. Going on to a second movie. He would have sounded just like that. <laughs> yeah. If he took over as Darkman, it would have been fantastic. But when talking about casting the role of Darkman, Sam Raimi wanted someone who could play a monster with the soul of a man. Someone 
who could do all that beneath just caked in makeup and wearing bandages, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why he liked Neeson so much is because he had this Gary Cooper charisma. Uh-huh. And Neeson was drawn to the operatic nature of the story and the inner turmoil of the character. So everything just kind of worked out. Like, Raimi liked him. Neeson liked what Raimi was doing. And it just clicked. And they got together and went out and banged out this great freaking film. Yeah, definitely. It just plays into that. Yeah, he was just a step above of everyone else in the movie. Yes, like hundred percent. You, you have other Academy Award winning actors in there. Yep, and he just outshone them all, for sure. Uh, in research for the role, Neeson contacted the Phoenix Society, which is an organization that helps accident victims with severe disfigurements adjust to reentering society. So he actually went out there and did some, like, kind of deep research for this, for mm-hmm. the for this role. I'm glad he did. The casting director, when talking about Neeson, she said, Liam was so perfect in his audition and brought such a powerful presence with such emotional range and haunted eyes. And you know Sam Raimi loved those haunted eyes. Oh, yeah. Lots of close-ups on that one. Yes, for sure. When talking about the script for the film, the story, he said, the script appealed to the little boy in me because I know it would have been something I would have loved to have seen on a Saturday matinee growing up in Ireland. And it was a big, fat, juicy lead role. <laughs> Heck yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He did. He has those eyes, and he used them again in Schindler, Schindler's List, but he started off as dark. Man. He uses them in everything. He's got those eyes. That's why he keeps getting cast in movies. It's the it eyes. It looks like he just saw a car accident or something. Yeah. It's pretty deep. When making the film, Neeson worked 18 hours a day in what they have, like, I guess he calls it a 10-piece makeup. Okay. But he liked the challenge of it and the idea of working behind a mask on camera as well as exploring the possibilities this entailed. Neeson also had input on the costume that he wore as Darkman. He especially put in a lot of work into that cloak. Like, he had a lot of say in the kind of cloak he wore. Okay. But he said the hardest part about playing the role was speaking with those false teeth because he didn't (laughs) want them to move at all. Now, the teeth. The teeth. Oh, you already know how I feel about the teeth. But even, like, when you're looking at it, you're just, the teeth are just so gnarly, and you're just like, Ugh, just bony teeth sticking out of bandages. I love it. I love it because it's such a cool look. Right. But then you have to wonder, how is he pronouncing some of those words with no lips? Exactly. How are we doing M's and B's? Like, don't get me wrong. The scene where he's holding uh, Sam, Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother Ted down in the, the, in the sewer the teeth in that scene alone are just fantastic. It makes him look like the scariest guy you've ever seen. But he's saying words like but and things with M's in them. And I'm like, no. 
that, and it's that funny because this time around, I found myself looking at his mouth a lot uh, more when he talked because mm-hmm. I was like, "What is he? How is he saying those? He, I, he must. Dark man. One of his superpowers must be <laughs> as a ventriloquist. Absolutely. It's the only <laughs> way he could have done it because yeah, some of those words shouldn't work without lips. Exactly. So while he was healing, he taught himself how to be a ventriloquist. I'm excited about this. Yes. When talking about, like we mentioned earlier, how Raimi was inspired by the classic universal horror films of the 30s, and he wanted this movie to pay homage to those, production mm-hmm. designer Randy Sir said in an interview, if you look at Dark Man's lab that he moves into, which is an old warehouse, what was on my mind was Dr. Frankenstein. There were a number of references visually to what we were thinking about in regards to those films. Again, right. if you're paying attention and you're a fan of those old horror films, you're going to see it. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I just what I saw was just cool. I wasn't noticing other things. You know what I mean? Right. It's not until now where I'm watching it and I'm like, Wow, look at that. That is that is that is Dr. Frankenstein's lab right there. They right. just remade it for this for this film in a different way. So cool. I, I like it. And it looks it also looks like he mixed in the old school mummy film also with the wrapping and the way his mouth is open like that. Yep. It just I love the design of Dark Man yeah, with the hat, great. the cloak, everything about that character is just so rad. Very, very dark, very cool. Yeah. I love how he found that coat just lying in the garbage. Heck yeah, dude. I find coats in garbages all the time. And I pick them out, I throw them on, I put a hat on, and I go running around the city at night. Of course you do. Striking fear into the hearts of criminals. I don't expect any less from you, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. But I just love that it's the stormiest storm that's ever existed ever when he escapes from the hospital like the craziest winds and the craziest rain and he finds this coat just laying in the garbage and then proceeds to sleep under a box and i love going out and running around in lightning rainstorms at night it is like my favorite right. thing to do finding can we coats. talk about a right can, can we talk about a scene real quick sure so let's, let's talk about a scene real quick okay so it's after he gets blown up and what have you and he's in the hospital and they have him in that weird four point spinning table. Okay. And the the doctor's essentially making fun of him for all the things that happened to him. Yeah. And he's like and she's like, He can't feel any pain. Most doctors are like kind and would like prick your finger or something like that or like poke <laughs> you like on the foot. She grabs a scalpel and straight up stabs the dude. It's like, look, he can't feel anything. Bam! I was like, whoa. Are you even a doctor? What are you doing? No, she's not. She's not a she doctor. Was that was very a, amused by she that. She was. She, she was crazy. That that I'm that so, that person was just a crazy person. <laughs> she was. She was one of the patients in there. Look, he can't feel it. But I was like, I'm surprised she wasn't on the list. Yeah. The hit list. But the opening sequence of the two is awesome as well. Even without okay. Dark Man, just like you're opening the film and it is so comic book crazy. It is out of control. Like that With opening. With all the smoke and. 
Yeah. Not all the, you got all the smoke. You've got a guy with a machine gun leg hopping around. Uh, you know, <laughs> at one point, you know, when it's all done, one of his partners holds out his arm so the guy can, like, steady the guy with one leg. <laughs> yeah. I love that there's, like, a hundred dudes in cars running around. There's, like, eight of the bad guy's gang, and none of them get shot. I Oh, That's, I know. And on it's top of that, I love how from out of nowhere, you've got the cars barreling out of these big boxes. <laughs> like, people were just sitting in this these giant crates in their cars just waiting to just drive out and bust through them and start shooting. Right. And It is so, so awesome. It is so fun. I... I was cracking up laughing when I'm wa- when I was watching it this time around. Right. And okay, so my favorite part of that whole scene, that intro scene is Larry Drake. Okay? He plays the bad guy. He plays Durant. Yeah. Robert Durant. Yep. That guy looks like a drawing of a bad guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's so Excuse good. Me. So good. But all of a sudden he's like, "I got a six shooter." <laughs> and I'm going to cap each and every one of these dudes in the head perfectly. Yes. No, I was just like, that is so comic book, man. That is, this movie is so comic book. It doesn't even know it. It doesn't even know it. I was just like, yes, that was excellent. Now we could talk about the scenes all day. You know, and one more time before we, before we move on, I want to talk about one more of my favorite scenes from the film because I have to point it out now or I'm afraid I'll forget it later. One of my favorite scenes is when Darkman takes Rick, uh, who is played by Sam Raimi's brother, Ted Raimi, and he's trying to get information out of him down there. And there's this point where he just plops his head up out of the sewer. And his torso is just bobbing up and down as these cars are driving by. And it is the funniest freaking scene in an action movie, I think, ever. Because it is just just so silly, but also super twisted and demented and violent. But funny as hell. Like, I just... I started laughing so hard when I, when I was watching that scene this time around. It just brought me so much joy and happiness. If you're going to well, watch Dark Man again, at least watch it for that part because it is brilliance. It is hilarious. <laughs> and, number, and here's the thing. Nothing against Ted Raimi, but he was the most out-of-place bad guy in that whole thing. For sure, but not. But not. But not. Because, he was perfect for it. Because, it was so funny. You, again, like you said <laughs> earlier, you've just got to look at, like, comic books. Right. And he There's is always a, that weaselly guy. He's the weaselly comic book henchman guy. Right. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, anyway. yeah, I just, like, it, it's like Darkman is holding onto his arms because his arms don't come up. It's just, like from his shoulders up is just bobbing up and down in the street <laughs> I, until the very end when the truck just, hits him. He's, he's all, just <laughs> screaming, and it's just so great. Uh, okay, okay. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Julia Roberts Yes. was almost in this movie. 
she was cast in the role of Julie Hastings before she ended up landing the role in Pretty Woman. Like, she was going to be in Darkman had Pretty Woman not happened. I kind of like that. I think she would have been good in that. But yes, Pretty Woman made her career. But yeah, I can see Julie Roberts doing that. And Roberts and Neeson actually dated briefly. Really? Yeah. They, good for him. So the casting director, Nancy Nayer, was talking about this, and she said Julia Roberts and Liam had dated briefly and were broken up. When they read the audition scene together, both actors had tears in their eyes. It was so intimate. Right after her agent called and said she felt it might be better if she was taken out of consideration. I think she felt it would just be too awkward for them to work together again so soon under the circumstances. Okay, that's understandable. Regardless, it worked out for both of them, and Roberts went on to make Pretty Woman instead. Right. And but yeah, she would have been great McDormand. in the movie. I would yeah. have actually loved to see Roberts in Dark Man. So I know we ended up with Frances McDormand as Julie. Yes. But was there anybody else considered for the role for Julie Hastings? Yeah, Demi Moore and Bridget Fonda both tested for the role. I mean, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think Bridget Fonda would have been good. I'm not... I'm happy with France McDormand. We did good with that one. Well, okay. So let's let's talk about Frances McDormand for a minute. Okay. Actually, let's talk about some stuff that involves her and oh, how she ended up in the role. So one of the reasons why she was cast is because Joel Cohen was her husband at the time. And they okay. were actually sharing a house together. Joel Cohen, uh-huh. Frances McDormand, and Sam Raimi. Oh, wow. We're all, like, living together. Okay. So that's kind of how that all worked out. And Cohen helped Ramey with his script along with his brother. And the screenwriting process is said to have been incredibly grueling. And there were okay. lengthy post-production battles with the studio regarding the script. Sam Raimi and Francis McDormand clashed because of these creative differences. Oh, no. Yeah. Apparently, she was very difficult to direct, and Sam Raimi said, apparently, I didn't know Fran as well as I thought I did. The reason it was difficult was that our conception of the best movie to make differed. Arguing and trying to make the best picture possible. We did come across disagreements, but they were very healthy. McDormand, however, looks back fondly on the film, and she and her husband, Joel, are still friends with Raimi. So even oh, though good. they just had these creative differences while making the movie, they ended up working through them, mm-hmm. and the movie ended up being fine, and everybody was happy. Uh, when talking right. about this whole experience, McDormand said in an interview, I think one of the things he was trying to say with the character of Julie was to show he could write a strong female character. But in retrospect, I feel like I probably should not have tried to play Julie as a strong female character because at the end of the day, she still was the damsel in distress, waiting for the hero to come and save her. I could have done a better job if I'd surrendered to that. I struggled against working in a way that I had never been trained to do. I was trained to be a theater actress. I was struggling with technically how to make movies. 
So it was an adjustment for me to figure out my purpose inside Sam's technical world of making a movie. There were times when he thought we could be steamrolled and then pop right back up like a cartoon character. I chafed against that a lot, but I learned a lot too. Nice. So that was kind of her experience with the whole matter. Uh, She goes on to say, at that time, I had been sharing a house in Los Angeles with Sam and Joel and Ethan Cohen. When the project came up, Sam was very influential in getting me an audition. I think Liam had a lot to do with helping me get cast. We had a very good time together in the audition. I remember for the intimate scene being attached to the idea of making love with my socks on. I felt that was a really important element of the comfortable relationship. Sam said, I am not sure about the socks. And I said, I am wearing the socks. I am wearing the socks. That meant something <laughs> so, to her, man. So these are, so just, just kind of gives you a little insight of what their creative differences were. Is like, do I wear right. socks? Do I not wear socks? Okay, that works. During the rehearsal process of the film, Neeson and McDormand worked very closely together, and they even rewrote three love scenes that they had together after he becomes Darkman. According to McDormand, they got through those scenes by depending on each other's knowledge of theater and each other. Right. That would have been pretty hard for him to have love scenes after getting burned up. Yeah, but you got to remember that... Oh, he was making the skin. He was making the skin. He wasn't all nasty looking. Ah, he was making he was making plastic love. Yep. We only synthetic, had 90 minutes. Synthetic skin synthetic, love. There we go. Not plastic yeah. love. Synthetic skin love. All right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes. Even though Raimi, the Coen brothers, uh, McDormand, Neeson, they all had a hand in writing the script, but hmm. the first person that Raimi brought on was... Chuck Farrer as a writer. He previously wrote the film Navy Seals. He wrote the first draft, and then Raimi's brother, Ivan Raimi, who happens to be a doctor, wrote drafts two through four with Sam. Now, Ivan made sure that the medical aspects and scientific elements were authentic as possible given the nature of the story. As Raimi and his producing partner, Rob Tapper progressed through the various drafts. They realized that there potentially could be a sequel made at some point. Yep. Now. And there should have been. So, so now screenwriters, we've got Sam Raimi, the Coen brothers, Chuck Farrer, Ivan Raimi, four drafts of the script. Then Universal went ahead and brought in screenwriting brothers Daniel Golden and Joshua Golden to work on the script as well. According to, yeah, so here's more people that are coming in to work on the script. According to Daniel Golden, they were presented with various drafts, lots of little story documents that were just material everywhere, and it's, it's explained that drafts seem to be going in so many different directions. And they spent a lot of time 
talking and pulling together a way of making the story work. They said, I think that mostly we talked in terms of the nuts and bolts of the story. The Goldens added new lines of dialogue, new characters, and bits of action. The studio still wasn't satisfied, so the Raimi brothers went ahead and wrote more drafts, 6 through 12, before they had a shooting script. So there are 12 drafts of the Dark Man script that were that were written by all of these different screenwriters. That's bonkers. Wow. Wow. 12 drafts overall. Yes. Give me a break. The reason why is because Uh Sam Raimi really wanted to explore the Peyton Darkman arc over the course of the film. He explained, I decided to explore a man's soul. In the beginning a sympathetic and sincere man, in the middle, a vengeful man, committing heinous acts against his enemies, and in the end, a man full of self-hatred for what he's become, who must drift off into the night, into a world apart from everyone he knows and all of the things he loves. That's the soul of the movie. That's what he was trying to do. It took him 12 drafts to get to what he wanted. Luckily, they got there. And they started shooting the movie. <laughs> it took a lot to get there, man. Yeah. But. <laughs> but. The script was also being rewritten as they were shooting the movie. Oh, of course. Yes. So, producing. So, Raimi's producing partner said that it was constantly being rewritten. And there were jokes that the script had 5,000 names on it by the time the film had wrapped, <laughs> including two future Academy Award winners, the Coen brothers. So, yep. That's funny. Tappert went on to say, in hindsight, I'm not sure it ever got better. It just incorporated <laughs> more people's pisses. <laughs> oh, dang. The Coen brothers were not credited by the Guild, but they were instrumental early on with building the structure. The idea sprung from Sam's head, and Joel and Ethan coaxed them along that road. Chuck Farrer was the best at the villains. I got you. So there you go. Nice. So even though a lot of people were working on this thing, like everyone had a huge hand in shaping the story for what it actually became. Right. Uh, when talking about the production of the film, Neeson said, The shooting of the film was exhausting, not least because of the long hours in the makeup chair, which started off at five hours, but we got that process time down to just over three hours. Neeson wow. said, At the time, I was preparing to play a bare-knuckle boxer in a film, The Big Man, to be shot in Scotland immediately after completion of Darkman. So I was setting my alarm clock for about 3 a.m. in order to do a workout as preparation. So days were definitely long and for the most part tiring, but the exhaustion factor was in a weird way quite pleasing. I certainly led a very monastic existence for several months. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it worked for him, man. Seems like a grueling freaking production, man. Holy cow. Right. But 
you can't help but watch the movie and see that he's just having so much damn fun. Right, absolutely. Some of the shots, man, are just crazy insane. Like, I love it. And you could tell Neeson was in on it 100%. It's explained Raimi consciously was looking to tone down his style. <laughs> like that style, that, that Sam Raimi style that we all love. Right. He was trying to tone it down because he wanted to get into the characters' heads and follow them as real human beings in extraordinary circumstances. Right. I get that. Mm-hmm. And he pulled it off. But I think so. you can still do that and stick with his signature style. Right. But he did though. Some some of those shots oh, are like It's a, it's 100% dude. the same rate. He like he says he wanted to tone it down. Like I can't even imagine what that would have been like had it been full Raimi cuz it felt right. it feels like a full Raimi film. But dude, he was the, holding back. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying cuz if so if you watch if you compare the cabin scene when everything starts freaking out in the cabin in Evil Dead and the scene where they trash uh, Peyton's laboratory and like are busting his head into every cabinet and burning him and what have you those the feel is exactly the same like the chaos is at equal levels so if yeah. he was holding back I wonder what he had drawn out originally yes that he was just like oh we gotta bring this back it was fantastic now, once they were done shooting the film, this is kind of where it gets into like my favorite behind the scenes story here for Dark nice. Man. I love this is such a cool story. It sucks. It sucks, uh-huh. but it's also kind of cool. It all comes down to the editing process. And the editing process was extremely difficult for this movie. The editor mm-hmm. allegedly had a nervous breakdown and left the production during this <laughs> no. process. Yes. That's awful. The Universal executives were so nervous with some of the wild things that they were seeing in the film that they insisted some of these scenes be taken out. Sam Raimi confessed that studio movie making as opposed to independent filmmaking didn't fulfill him in the same way. But he does give Universal credit for the marketing of the film and that the success of Darkman was due to how, they, how well they marketed the movie. Okay. So I'm going to get into this. This is where the story gets good, everybody. You ready? All right. Yes. So as I've said before, the editing had some big issues and it was a big problem. When they were going through the process with test screenings and screening the film to studio executives, Sam Raimi was only seeing mildly positive feedback from audiences before the studio brought in their own editor. This editor was Bud S. Smith, and he partnered with Universal to keep the director out of the process. So, Universal and the Smith guy teamed up to kick Raimi and his producing partner, Tapper, out of the editing room. They actually sent them to Florida for three weeks on a vacation while Smith, and I quote, tore into the film and did what I thought would be the right thing to make it viewable. Hmm. That's, That's what right. Tappert said. 
He went on to say, we came back and the editor had cut it down from two hours to 85 minutes. We tested Mm. that. It did not test as well as the longer version, which was Sam's cut. I think we went through four or five movie test screenings and each time the score got lower and lower and we got more depressed. So this Smith guy was just cutting things down and just making this movie worse and worse. Could you imagine being Raimi at this point of the production? Like he had shot this film. This is his baby. This is his unique vision, his his original story. And this editor is just tearing it apart. Now, Danny Elfman did the music on the movie. And yes. you can totally hear Elfman's style on that. It's almost like uh, when you're listening to it, you can hear Batman and Spider-Man. and Dude, it was straight up Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah, you can hear yep. all of those things the, in the, the score. The very first score. Yeah, and I love it so much. But when he saw this torn apart cut, this, this cut that Smith put together that was a no way, shape, or form what Raimi wanted. Elfman said, when I saw Sam taking this beating, I got pissed. There was even a point when I threatened to take my name off the film and return my fee, telling Sam whatever I can do to support you on this. So nice. Elfman was had Raimi's back, and I love that because you don't get a lot uh, Hollywood's a crazy place, and it's hard to find support. And so when you have someone like that have your back, that's awesome. Campbell said, Bruce Campbell, he, mm-hmm. he went to say, my favorite scene was cut because of a preview. Colin's character starts to woo Julie, and you go, maybe this guy is all right. Cut to his apartment, and he's wearing a towel. And he opens up a box and throws gold coins on the bed, then drops the towel, dives onto the coins, buck-ass naked. They do previews, and that scene kept popping up. And exec looks at me and goes, I'll give you a copy of that scene because it's never going to be in the movie. And I was like, you pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, bro. I mean, you got to keep the Scrooge McDuck scene in there. That's crazy. I would have loved to have seen that. That's so funny. And it would have, the thing is, you watch the movie and it totally fits. And when I imagine it in my head, it is a comic book scene. It is a scene right out of a comic book. But yeah, Campbell Man. was not happy with how these re- executives were making these stupid decisions. Right. And, but th- that's the thing is, they never understood the project to begin with. They yeah. didn't get that that's what he was going for. Exactly. With every edit they were doing, the test scores were getting lower and lower. Mm-hmm. They just did not work. They did not get any higher. Because of that, Tapper and Ramey agreed with the studio to lock the film with Smith's approved cut and finally release it. Mm. So this horrible cut... They were like, all right, 
look, we don't want it to get any worse. Let's just lock it down now. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is where it gets good. They ended up talking with producer Bob Murawski, who is now a frequent collaborator of Ramey and Tapper. He said, he told them, this is like a last-minute conversation, he told them, and I quote, there is a much better movie than what we are locking right now. The duo would decide to try one more time at a new cut behind Universal's back. They were going to do this in secret and not tell them. Tappert said, We spent 48 hours basically recutting the entire movie, restoring things we thought were important. We added nine minutes back in, things we really liked that the preview audiences would recoil from. But that was what it was meant to do. We locked it and didn't tell anybody. He goes on to explain, Universal came to watch it after the mix. And there was this giant outcry, but there was nothing to be done. The negative had been cut. Critic screenings were 48 hours later. Bob and I advocated very strongly for the deception. Sam left to his own probably would not have done that. He is not that kind of guy, but I am. Nice. So... Former Universal Pictures chairman Tom Pollock was seriously effing furious. Except he only didn't say effing. <laughs> I remember thinking, that is one ballsy gorilla move. It is as big a breach of every conceivable protocol of delivering a movie in post-production. Yes, totally. It was an Ocean's Eleven maneuver. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. That's amazing. And I love this story of this film because it makes the movie so much better because these guys were like, F it, F the studio, F Smith, the editor guy. We're going to freaking put our movie back in there and deliver what we want to give the audiences. (laughs) It was fantastic. That's a fantastic story. I love it. I know. I know. And I love that it's like, it's an Ocean's Eleven maneuver because it 100% is. They went against everything and they won. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they did a good job and they kept the heart of the movie in it, which I think it was probably lost when the studio got a hold of it. Yeah. But, but, early preview screenings didn't go well. But they were doing preview screenings this whole time. People laughed at the wrong places. They complained about a lack of a happy ending. Universal told Sam Raimi that some people rated it as the worst film they had ever seen. According to some executives, the film was one of the worst scoring pictures in Universal history. That can't be true. I Right? Yeah. Then, two pre- then two preview screenings, one with Danny Elfman's score, went well. And Tappert remembers, the experience on Darkman was very difficult for Sam and me. It isn't the picture we thought it should be based on the footage we shot and all that. The studio got nervous about some kind of wild things in it and made us take them out, which was unfortunate. However, 
Raimi did like the brilliant marketing campaign, as I said before, that the studio came up with, releasing posters in advance with a silhouette of the main character and questions, who is Darkman? According to the director, the marketing made the film a moneymaker. Yeah. I remember those posters. I remember I that too. advertising. And it got me stoked. I was excited right. for it. Absolutely. Danny Elfman obviously enjoyed working with Sam Raimi because he continues to work with them to this day. When talking mm-hmm. about working with them on this movie, he said, Sam has a wonderful visual style that lends itself easily to music. There was no reason to hold back on this one. And they didn't. They didn't hold back. They went all out. Right. Man, you know, I'm sure I am so glad that they went back in there and fixed that shit. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun. I, I wonder what wild things happened that they had to cut out. Like, I would love to find those edited scenes to see what it was that made Universal so sketchy on, on the film. Yeah. Well, you know, it's crazy. The, the whole reason that the movie got greenlit in the first place was because of Tim Burton's Batman. It came out the year before. Uh-huh. And it was a, obviously a massive success. And Universal didn't have any comic book properties to play around with. So this was like, this idea from Raimi was like the next best thing. Right. And it in the end, it ended up paying off for him. It opened at number one at the box office and went on to gross $50 million in the U.S. on a $16 million budget. And it received rave reviews from critics and audiences. Like that cut that was released, the cut that Raimi wanted, is the one that succeeded. Right. And it ended up spawning a franchise, comic books, action figures, video games. There was even even an unaired TV pilot. (laughs) Right, yeah. And recently, there was some stuff recently that they were talking about doing a whole Darkman TV show in 2020. So, I mean, it obviously hit some people in the right areas where the franchise continues and the movie still is uh, being watched and making some money. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, well, and there's even talk of a sequel now. Like, just recently, Neeson was asked if he'd be interested in a sequel. And he's like, yeah, I totally would do another sequel if Raimi was involved. And and uh, then Raimi came out like a few weeks ago and was like, hey, there are talks at Universal about a Darkman sequel. So... That could actually happen one day. Who knows? Which would be so it. cool. I'd be all up for seeing a Darkman sequel with uh, Neeson and Raimi working together again. Uh, there were a couple sequels that were made straight to video DVD, but Raimi and Neeson didn't have anything to do with them. So they weren't that good. I only ever saw the first sequel, and it was so bad that I'm like, I'm not even going to bother watching the third one or the, the second sequel. But anyway... Yeah, I just didn't count those as sequels. I mean, um, the guy that got playing in them as Peyton Westlake or Darkman, whatever you want to call him, he's a good actor, but it's just not the same without Liam Neeson. Yeah. So in this movie, you can see Raimi's potential for his future superhero movies. There's one particular scene that I was thinking of. Which one is that? Okay, when he and Francis McDormand are in the fair... Oh, yeah. It's completely, 
you could see that in his Spider-Man movies. You could see it in Doctor Strange when he does that freak out scene and they do the the super zoom into his face with the darkening background. And I was like, man, when he just lost, when he lost freaking just lost his cool and like every, like, yeah, it was a great scene because you just kind of, again, you just see him go completely mad in that moment. Right. But it, but if you watch that scene, okay, watch that scene. There's two scenes I want everybody to watch and you'll see the awesome, like you will be like, yes, I can see that in a comic book frame. Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi bobbing up and down bobbing out of the sewer. That's yep. one, but then there's two more. Go there's for two it. more. <laughs> so it's the scene in the fair where he doesn't get the bear that he wants. And yeah. he just freaks out. But you've seen that, like that action, that automatic zoom in comic book frames. Like you're the the background speeding by and you're just like zooming in on his face. Yeah. I was like, that is complete comic book. And then during his torture scene, every new bad thing that happens to him he like stops the frame and you get to see in extreme detail exactly what's going on with him yes you know what i mean like when his hands grab the two electrical uh wires and they melt dude it is so hardcore and like so it it it's actually kind of hard to watch and when i'm watching it i'm like man i you know why the movie's rated R. <laughs> right. They didn't hold back on a lot of stuff. Yeah, just the skin melting looks so real. Ugh, it was looks so, so gross. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. But yeah, I'm just saying, you'll enjoy the movie. There's certain scenes that I enjoy. You guys will find ones that you enjoy. But just imagine that you're reading a comic book. That's, I mean, it finally hit me and it like made me go, dang. That was, so, it was so innovative at the time. Like that was. It, this movie was ahead of its time. I way way ahead. It was low budget cuz you know they didn't have the same budget as Tim Burton's Batman like right. this was Dark Man but Dark Man felt like a much more hardcore movie than Batman was. And it was. It is it a was. Hard, it is more of a hardcore movie. Like it is balls to the walls bonkers. And that's why I right. love it. That's why I love it. Yeah. And it even gets into the psychology of the main character, like that freak out moment where he's yelling at the cat and he's like, what am I just, am I just something to amuse you? And he does this little Tin Man dance and starts Dude, destroying Dude, the his... dance, the Tin Man dance with the hat on his head, that was freaking crazy. Right? It was but... fun, but also kind of terrifying right, <laughs> at the you same know time. He's, he's having the hardest time with this. Which is kind of crazy because Sam Raimi went on to direct uh, Oz the Great and Powerful later on in his career. He sure did. (laughs) sure did. Tin Man stuff. Yep. It's all connected. It's all connected. Yes. So, yeah. But, I mean, there's lots to point out. There's lots of fun in it. That is a nightmarish scene, though. Like, that is a hardcore nightmarish scene. (laughs) It's like when the monster freaks out. Like, the Frankenstein's monster freaks out. That's, he has his moment. Yes. Yeah. And but. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I love this movie though. And if you haven't watched it in a while, watch it again. And if you have never watched it, I, go watch it right now. Stop what you're doing and just go watch it right now. It's so good. Absolutely. It's so good. Go watch it with a bunch of, get a group together and go watch it. But don't watch it with your kids. It's too dark. Too dark it's for too your dark. kids. <laughs> but it's funny. It's cool. It's got great shots. Like, man, things are blowing up. He's a relatable, good guy, over-the-top bad guys. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Dark man. Dark man. 
amazing. Dark man. I'm just, I'm a little peeved that uh, Liam Neeson didn't get uh, best actor for that movie. Should have won. I mean, we're going to campaign for it. Yeah, we should. It's going to happen. All right. Favorite yeah. quote, Billy. There's a lot of good quotes in here. There's, there's lots of good so quotes. So many good quotes. It's actually connected to the scene that we've talked about all the way through this. Okay. My favorite quote. It's when he's got Rick in the sewer. He's holding on to him. And Rick is scared, of course, because, you know, he's looking at death in the face. And he goes, oh, God, don't. I told you everything. And then he just gets real quiet and goes, I know, Rick. I know you did. But let's pretend you didn't. And then he pops up (laughs) out of the sewer into the street. Let's pretend you didn't. I was like, fantastic. It's so I love good. that. So good. What do you got? Uh, I little conversation. So this is kind of a little conversation from the film. All right. Mm-hmm. Eddie says, I was engaged to a girl once with a wooden leg. <laughs> Skip says, yeah, what happened? Eddie had to break it off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's immediately before he Kicks his leg out it's, and starts shooting everybody exactly. with the machine gun. Leg. Exactly, fantastic. But this is what's so great about the movie. Those that kind of dialogue is spread out all throughout it, and it's classic comic book dialogue. It's so fun and just playful. Right. Then you've got this great line from Julie when she's got the got these mob guys all around her, and they're intimidating her, and she's just sitting there like, "Look." If you're not going to kill me, I have things to do. <laughs> Just like <laughs> fun little things like that. <laughs> yeah, she was a good character, man. I really enjoyed it. I hope everybody else takes a chance to go watch it. I hope we influence you to, you know, maybe take oh, a chance and go oh, watch yeah. that movie. And then you've got like the finger breaking scenes in there. Oh my gosh, when he starts cutting off people's fingers. Cut, not only cutting off people's fingers, but when he grabs them and he just like. Makes oh, a fist yes. around him, then pulls him back and just twists oh, and, and crunches them. them. Yeah. Yep. Love that scene. I was like, oh, man, I've never seen that before. Right. And then uh, they were shooting this... him with the bolt gun, which is another great Sam Raimi-directed scene where the bolts come like... Oh, and his hand gets and stuck And his hands get stuck into the, the metal. Oh, so good. The girder, and he just pulls it right off. Oh, man. So many, so many things about this movie that I love. Right. Anyway, watch it. I don't care if you've seen it or not. Watch it again. So great. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for listening. We know there's, we have those committed few who are listening. Please share it with other people. We've got a lot more coming. Yeah, we appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at GT Secret Level. That's our call sign. We're having a good time. I mean, this is great. So, And we actually have people now that are like coming out and like talking to us on Twitter and they're offering suggestions. So this is great. We're getting somewhere, everybody. Awesome. Yeah, our, ne- our next episode is a fan suggestion, so just stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. Good times. Good times ahead. Thank yeah. you, everybody, and have a wonderful life. That's obvious. Honest, wasn't it? Yeah, I like it.
I'm everyone and no one, everywhere, nowhere. Call me Dark Man. Nice. Oh, you've got to be shitting me. Remember that line? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that line from Neon Neeson. Oh, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> so good. I think you should say that in every movie. Oh, you've got to be shitting me. So good. I think that was in the trailer, wasn't it? But not shitting. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't have oh, red trailers man. back then. But I, I'm really... I'm really excited now that I know that Bruce Campbell did that Julie because the Julie was in the trailer. Julie! <laughs> oh, man. <Yeah>. Okay, bye. <laughs> and that's where we're going to end the podcast. <laughs>